Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. My name's Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Joe. Hello, Joe. Good evening, Charles. Joe, as we often say, we record on a Tuesday night, and when that Tuesday night also coincides with NFL deadline day, needless to say, it's going to be a very busy episode, I imagine. It's a busy episode. I've been trying to write the agenda, get things worked out for today, but every time I think I'm finished, another trade comes across the desk. So hopefully we're going to wrap up as much as we can and include all we can for you guys. But if we miss any out, that's uh, that's just the situation we're living with today. <laughs> Let's be tactical then, Joe. Let's end with the trades. Let's start perhaps with a brief rundown of the results from last week's games and, of course, the final of the International Series games in London. We saw the Wembley game. So for what has seemed like a season that has been full of upsets, largely most of the games are in line with what you would expect given the fact that we had pretty much winning teams playing losing teams this week. Yeah, not too many accumulator breakers, so to speak. Um, That's not to say the games weren't exciting. We're not playing down the games. Uh, We've got a lot of trades to talk about later on, but just to you know, crack things through. Uh, Green Bay continues to slide. That's another loss. Is that four in a row now, Charles? Yeah, must be. I mean, I, and you know, you talk about Green Bay continuing to slide. I think one of the things you can't overlook here is Kay Walker getting ejected for shoving a Bills coach on the sideline. This is a coach as well, by the way, that was trying to help him up. Or I, I think there was some people saying he might have been a tight end uh, on the practice squad. But either way, it was a Bills member of their team helping him up and you can just tell that all is not right here you know that people are reacting in that way that they're losing their cool over little things this shows that they they're a team in deep decline and they've got a lot of issues um, both on the field and potentially behind closed doors in the locker room as well yeah, people will try and put a positive spin on it, especially if you're around the Green Bay organization. They'll say things like, you know, he's he's got that dog in him. He's trying to get out there and show that he wants to win. He's trying to show that he's got a passion for the game, but that's absolute nonsense. It shows a lack of discipline. It shows a lack of control. It shows players who aren't in the right headspace, like you say. And it's just another symptom of what is developing into a wider problem in Green Bay right now. They've lost four games on the bounce. They haven't really look like winning many of them. You know, aside from a Giants game where they looked good in maybe the first half, they they weren't in this Bills game. The, the scoreline may have been, what, 10 points, 27-17 by the end, but it wasn't a 10-point game. The Bills were comfortable throughout. It uh, wasn't close. Um, Green Bay have problems. They are now four games behind the Vikings. I seem to be just reminding you about that each week, Charles, and I'm making sure I shoehorn it in. <laughs> four games behind the Vikings, level with the Bears. They're a team in trouble. Green Bay fans probably aren't used to this. Can I just say, that's out of those two elements, that's the one that upsets me the most. I can live with being four games behind the Vikings. Level with the Bears <laughs> is simply insulting. That's when you know you're in trouble. Just one last thing on this. It's 2005 since Green Bay last started a season three and five, and that's a season where Brett Favre basically had a meltdown. So a long time for fans to have seen a team performing this badly. Another team that you know, performing badly for a while. Let's talk about Atlanta and their close game uh, against the Panthers. Well, say performing badly, I mean, they won the game and the NFC South is wide open right now. (laughs) Panthers should have won this game. There was the taunting call on DJ Moore. 
let's just take a step back on this, just for fans who haven't seen this. If you haven't seen this, go and watch the pass that uh, PJ Walker threw to Moore for the game-tying touchdown. Absolutely incredible. Patrick Mahomes has called it the pass of the season outright so far. Incredible pass. Moore was then called for taunting. The extra point was pulled back 15 yards. Lo and behold, the kicker misses the extra point. Falcons go on and win the game. NFC South, absolutely wide open with the Bucks playing so badly. We said in the first podcast of the season that Atlanta would be a fun team to watch, if nothing else. I think at 4-4 four and four they're showing that, but they're right in the mixer. Yeah, absolutely they are. I mean, what's your view on that penalty? <sighs> Just very quickly, Joe, because here's the thing that I actually I quite like clarifying. Was that a penalty for taunting or was it a penalty because he removed his helmet? But now, that's where the question is. It seemed to be given for the taunting, and the commentary team were saying that it was for the taunting. If you watch, he kind of put his hands towards the player's face, basically taunted towards him, rather than celebrating kind of just into the ether, he taunted towards a player. The taunting by itself, you've Soft. seen him go either way. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the helmet off. He was acting as if it was a walk-off touchdown. It wasn't a walk-off touchdown because the extra point had to be kicked. This wasn't like Stefan Diggs, Minnesota Miracle, throw your helmet into the crowd. The gig wasn't up. And I think that's a mistake that DJ Moore made. You take your helmet off, it is a penalty. It should have been a penalty. So Panthers fans might feel grieved. And does it matter, Joe, if the player is on the field or off the field? Because I think a lot of fans are, are claiming that when he removed his helmet, he was off the field of play, regardless of, of the fact that the game was still going. But he returned to the field of play. It wasn't like he then snuck around the edge of a field and snuck back to the uh, dugout. Yeah, he went out of the end zone, took his helmet off. But for all intents and purposes, he was still on the field. It was still a live football game. I think that fans are trying to get too far into technicalities to try and save him here. He shouldn't have taken his helmet off. And he knows that. And the fans know that. Let's move on then to Jets and New England. It was one of those games where going into it, you finally thought that the Jets might get an element of the kind of vengeance or justice they've been seeking for a long while against New England. Felt, you know, Jets were in the absolute ascendancy. We mentioned, of course, that they suffered some pretty critical injuries in the game prior, but... New England were having problems of their own, um, certainly with regards to which quarterbacks they were fielding, the the kind of play in which the team had been exhibiting in the previous weeks. But lo and behold, it wasn't to be. New England still shut the Jets down uh, like we've seen time and time again. Yeah, and this was perhaps one of those games where you could say it was maybe a minor upset in that the former Jets kind of came in with, uh, go into this game five and two, they had looked like the better team for the first part of the season. But, you know, what can you say? There's there's that monkey on their back there. The media, the pundits, they like to make a story about this. I think there's a lot of younger players who are in that Jets team who won't have experienced what it's like to get beaten by New England twice a year, every year, forever and ever. So although people kind of want to make that story, there's not really that inbuilt memory in a lot of those players. It is what it is. They have to move on to the next game, but they're still, you know, right up there in the division. And then, of course, finally, let's finish this roundup off with uh, Cleveland really taking the Bengals apart in this one. Everything clicked for Cleveland. We've we've seen the Cleveland defence look good at times this season, but they've been let down by both special teams and the offence. All three phases of a game, 
They looked strong. Trouble looked back to his kind of imperious best. Uh, Cleveland just controlled this game. It's it's a real kicker for the Bengals, who are having quite an up and down season, really. Yeah, although, you know, I'd argue the same of Cleveland. I really find it very difficult to judge what kind of Cleveland team we're going to see when they take to the field. They've been very up and down and erratic when it comes to their performances. There hasn't been any real level of consistency. I think for the Bengals, uh, there are much bigger issues at play here. It's not a case of the Bengals being inconsistent. I, I think there's a lot of issues that potentially need looking at. I mean, when they don't have Chase they look terrible. When they do have Chase, certainly at the start of the season, they still look really bad. We talked about their issues with their O-line, which really isn't helping the team. But then maybe there's a question around play calling as well. It feels like there's a lot of rotten elements there. And perhaps Chase and Burrow really kind of dragged the Bengals through to the Super Bowl last season. And it's too much to ask two players to do this time around. I I don't know about that really. You 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 often see teams having the kind of Super Bowl hangover when they've lost in the Super Bowl. The next season is always very hard. Players heads down, hard to get them motivated, hard to get things going again. We said at the start of the season that fundamentally the offensive line structurally is just not coming together for this team. It still hasn't clicked yet. I'd say that's a coaching problem because with all the investment they put into that line, it should be better. Coaching issues there. That's a structural thing. Yeah, I I I. I I feel reticent to kind of put it on the Burrow-Chase connection being as important as you're making out there. But all in all, Charles, uh, talking about the Bengals, talking about the Browns, I think both of them are scrapping for a wildcard place because yeah. for, for me personally, it's all the Ravens for the AFC North. Okay, well, with that in mind then, let's go on to some of the trades that we're seeing in deadline day because we've seen the Ravens make moves. We've seen, well, we've seen a lot of moves. So why don't we start with Bradley Chubb going to Miami for a first round pick in Chase Edmonds? So this one's super fresh. So like I said, I wasn't joking when I was writing the agenda and just new stuff was coming in all the time. Bradley Chubb is going to Miami, one of the standout defensive players for the Denver Broncos since he's been in the league. My first question really is, is this a pick that Nathaniel Hackett is going to get to spend? I was at the Wembley game on Sunday and, you know, there was a lot of chat in the concourse uh, that Hackett was going to get sacked after the game had he lost. Now, that could have happened. It it looked like the Jags might have got the win at one point. Uh, Broncos snuck the win, but Nathaniel Hackett is on a very, very hot seat. And I'd be surprised if he makes it to the end of the season. So do you think that he's going to get to spend this pick, Charles, or are they saving up picks to potentially dangle in front of a new head coach next year? Yeah, it certainly feels like it's leaning towards the latter there. As you pointed out, they did get the win, but it wasn't a convincing win. They snuck it against the Jags. I can't see them winning a massive amount of games between now and the end of the season. And with a record like that, with the big money they spent on Russell Wilson, you've got to think that he'll be parting ways before the end of the season and their picks that somebody else is going to get to spend. Yeah, absolutely. We won't talk about this trade for too long because it's still fresh. There's a lot to unpack with it. But the first round pick that the Dolphins sent to Denver, this was one of the first round picks they received from San Francisco when San Francisco traded up to pick Trey Lance in the 2021 draft. Dolphins got three first-round picks from San Fran as part of that trade. One they spent on Waddle. One they traded to the Chiefs for Tyreek Hill. 
and one we've now just spent on Chubb. My question to you, Charles, is how good would the San Francisco 49ers look right now if they had Waddle, Hill on offense and Chubb on defense? Oh, Because they traded for Trey Lance. Trey Lance has been a non-entity this season. Got injured very, very early on. It's been Jimmy G all the way. So if you had those picks back, you'd spent those picks that way. I think the San Francisco 49ers would be looking uh, right up there as NFC favourites, if not Super Bowl favourites, with those players. Just goes to show, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you've got to look at the Dolphins and say, well done for spending those picks, perhaps, you know, very, very sensibly. Yeah, I I love this move by the Dolphins. Uh, I think it's really good that you pointed that out because we can already see how Waddle and Hill are absolutely unlocking the best from Tua. He was plagued with inconsistencies in his first couple of seasons and, and now we're getting to see a bit more kind of consistent good passing play which we weren't we weren't 100% sure if he had it in the bag at the NFL level he's now starting to show that with the right pieces he can achieve but the one thing that has been lacking from Miami this season has been their defense and this was a defense that only a season or two ago we were raving about saying how good they were so I think bringing Chubb in to complement the pieces that they've already picked up with those other first round picks I think they've they've done phenomenally well and I think they put themselves in a really good position to compete for at least a wild card spot I'm still on the fence with this Dolphins organization though as much as I like what they've done with these first round picks here the treatment of Tua we can't forget about that so this is a tick in a box but there's still some black marks against their names so let's see how things play out uh, and let's see if Tua makes it through the season with his head intact, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Joe, let's move on to your team. Flying high at the moment. And they have made a move for Hawkinson. So my question to you is, does this feel like a move where they're really looking to capitalise on their position in the conference at the moment or is this just smart common sense because they've lost a tight end to consistent injuries this season and they're looking to shore up that position so they don't slip I think a lot of Vikings fans felt that the Vikings were going into the season undercooked at tight end now arguably the best tight end that the Vikings had last season was Tyler Conklin they traded him away to the Jets for not very much and then we're just going basically all in with Irv Smith in the position. Irv Smith, who's been injured basically since he's been drafted. And he's been up and down this season. He's had some bad games where there were some terrible drops. I'm thinking about the Philadelphia game, game week two. But he's not been the elite tight end that some Vikings fans were hoping that he would be when he was brought to the team. Arguably, Johnny Munt, a no-name from Los Angeles, has outperformed him this season I think this is a statement trade by the Vikings it shows that they're serious on the season throwing a second round and a third round pick to the Lions is no small compensation Hawkinson as well the player they're bringing in he's he's certainly looked good in flashes for the Lions and he's now hitting that stage where he should be maturing as a tight end it's a well-known thing that if you draft a tight end you shouldn't expect them to be a league leading player in their first season it takes tight ends a couple of years to mature to get the body strength to get the positional awareness that they have to do to play such a complex position a best case scenario here the vikings are getting a player you know really hitting his stride who can elevate this offense it's already got some pretty strong weapons in it 
and take them over the top. Yeah, and you know, you said that a second and third round pick is potentially quite expensive for the position. They did get two fourths back. I know, you know, fourths aren't quite the same value as a second round pick, but I felt it wasn't a too expensive a trade, to be honest. The other thing I think is, and I definitely don't want this to come across as sour lemons here, but I think considering how weak the rest of the conference is at the moment, the Vikings have to capitalize on this. Now, looking at them this season, they've certainly surprised me. Do I think that they're a good enough team to win the Super Bowl? Probably not when you look at the strength of the teams over the other side of the States. But That does sound a little bit salty, Charles, but I'll I'll let you go on. (laughs) But I think they have a real opportunity here, given how poorly their conference is performing, to rise to the top of that. And I think when when opportunities like that present themselves, you you have to grab them. You can't let those opportunities slip because next season might not be the case. Well, the thing is as well, the Vikings are probably going to have a home playoff in at least the first two rounds. You know, let's just say for argument's sake that the Eagles will continue in the vein they're going and they'll have the best record in the NFC. The Eagles will get the first seed. Vikings are running away with the NFC North right now. So... A home playoff game in week one of playoffs, and then a home playoff game in the divisional round after that. And then you're potentially in the conference if the Eagles get through it's at Eagles Stadium, and if not, you've got another home game. So, like you say, this is an opportunity for the Vikings. You can kind of see why they're going in with it. I'm not going to say all in, I hate that phrase. I hate talking about windows, it's an unrelated thing. But yeah, it's, it's definitely signaling from the Vikings, it's signaling from the Lions. Let's just not forget as well that they're giving up on this season a little bit. Oh, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. There's definitely kind of winners and losers of these trades. And if not winners and losers, at least teams that are showing intent to push for the season and teams that are happy to understand where they're currently at. But let's move on to the trade that's got us talking most, Joe, and that's Roquan Smith to the Ravens. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with this one, and it's why we're talking about it. There's a lot to unpack from a football point of view. There's a lot to unpack from front office and contract point of view here as well. So Rokon Smith, let's just get out of it first of all, is an elite linebacker. He flies under a radar somewhat as a defensive player. You know, people talk about the best defensive players in the league. They'll talk Aaron Donald, they'll talk Miles Garrett, they'll talk TJ Watt. Rokon Smith isn't normally someone's name who pops up in the start of his conversations, but down low he's been playing extremely extremely high level for the Bears over the last couple of years been an all pro a couple of times great player he's undoubtedly going to make this Ravens defense better uh, what is already a good defense it's it's solid you know they've had their problems in the secondary but you know this is this is an upgrade on some of the plays they have there so from a football point of view it's big I talked up this Ravens team last week I like this Ravens team I think they're flying under the radar I think that had a couple of results gone the other way had they won those close games they'd be sitting on a very strong record right now and people would be talking more about them we said as more players came healthy they'd be winning those close games I'm not sure whether I like everything about this trade though because it's arguably a rental isn't it Charles? Well, yeah. Why why don't we talk about, first of all, what was given up 
to attain Roquan Smith. And then we can dive into this aspect of how long they've actually really acquired his services for. So it was a second round pick and a fifth round pick. Is that right? Yeah, second and fifth, which really for a two time all pro linebacker, you you think that's cheap. But Roquan Smith is on the last year of his rookie deal. And when you look at how well he's been playing, like I just mentioned, a two-year All-Pro, he's going to want to get top money. Top linebacker money right now, and I'm talking pure linebackers here. I'm not talking about edge rushers in a 3-4, that kind of configuration. I'm talking 4-3 middle linebackers, interior linebackers on a 3-4 lineup. So Shaq Leonard is on $19.7 million a year, thereabouts. Fred Warner on $19 million. I think that Roquan Smith next year is going to be asking for something starting with a 2. Might not be a, you know much more than that, but it's going to be 20, 20 and a half, 21 million, something like that. The Ravens going into 2023, they're going to have approximately 65 million in cap space before they sign any of their free agents. They're going to have one huge free agent next year in Lamar Jackson because they didn't get that sorted this year. Now, if Lamar Jackson goes on a franchise tag, which will probably happen because they have to get him locked in, he's going to be looking at 43 million, 45 million of cap hit straight away on a franchise tag next season. Even if they sign him to a contract straight away, they get that worked out during the season. Lamar Jackson, the way he's been playing this year, the way he's continued to prove himself, unless, you know, something terrible happens and he gets a bad injury, which no one wants to see. But as long as he stays healthy, Lamar Jackson, at the very least, is going to be on 40, 41 million next year. So that's 40, 41 million of that 65 million gone straight away. Now, you can clear up a little bit of space there. There's space to be made. You've got uh, Nick Boyle, the tight end, who people forget behind Mark Andrews. You can't hear me save 6 million in the cap space. You cut Gus Edward, who's, who's a running back. You'll find a new one. That's 4.5 million. You can do a few cuts, save, you know, let's call it 12 million. But that still only gives you 32 million, and there's so many players you've got to sign to bring back to this Ravens team. You've got to replace Marcus Peters or re-sign Marcus Peters. You've got to replace JPP and Justin Houston, two edge rushers, age 34, who are probably not going to be playing for the Ravens next season. There's a lot of team you have to find. 20 million on Roquan Smith, as tempting as it is, it's going to be very hard for the Ravens to do. So I struggle to see how this can be more than a one-year rental. And this could be me being a pure cynic, Joe, but knowing that the Lamar Jackson contract needs to be agreed and they need to sort that out for next season, is there an element here, do you think, where the team needs to show their intent? The team needs to signal to Jackson that they are serious, that they do want to win Super Bowls and they want to win it with him. And so they're prepared to make these moves, even if they seem short-sighted, to at least show to Jackson that, do you know what, we'll back you and we'll get you the pieces that you need to, even if it's just a short-term fix. I don't think so, no. I think that all they needed to do this season was pay Jackson and they dragged their feet. And I think that, you know, there may have been a little bit of Jackson highballing. There may have been some of that. But I don't think that Jackson needs to see intent. They've been to the playoffs for the last couple of seasons. They've been getting close. He just needed to see the money. But have they, Joe? Because they're often first round exiters, at best second round. I kind of feel like they're, they're always there in the periphery, but they're never pushing for even for the conference finals. So I don't know. Part of me thinks they find this. No, no, no. I'll- I don't think so. They've bought the players in. They're spending close to cap. They've put competitive teams out for the last three, four years. 
they've put teams where they are in a position to win there. It's not like they've got blown away in playoff games. They've lost by three points here. They've lost by a point there. So I don't think they have anything to prove in terms of a team not trying to win or trying to win. This is just give Lamar Jackson the money. Right, and this trade, to your point then, certainly isn't going to help him to get that if they have any ambition of, of keeping Raquan, which you assume then they clearly don't. I think they have to just do so much cutting around. I think that they could be potentially making the team weaker if they did try to keep him. Because as good a player as he is, there's just so many other areas you've got to look at replacing. And so knowing that, Joe, good trade? Oh, I see. Now, now that's the really good question. It's a good trade if Roquan Smith puts in some MVP performances and carries them all the way through to a Super Bowl. It's a great trade then. If he goes and gets injured next week, well, then it's probably a pretty bad trade. It's one of those things where I think it's silly to call if this is good or bad until we've seen how he looks on the field. Yeah, just got to roll the dice. Just got to roll the dice. And so then, you know, talking about signalling, that would imply that the Bears are signalling that they're willing to give up key pieces um, to use for next season. But wait, One Joe. One would think that, but wait, there's more. <laughs> chase Claypool to the Bears I mean what do you even make of that this is a really hard one and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you what do you even make of this because what is chase Claypool he's not what you like to call a wide receiver one he's not a volume target receiver he's not a big play receiver he's not your classic x receiver z receiver y receiver slot receiver he's a decent wide receiver who can contribute to a team if he's not being a distraction is which is what he was deemed in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I don't know. Again, this is this is probably me boiling it down to its simplest form, and I'm sure that this isn't the case. But part of me thinks that the Bears have looked at Jalen Hurts and they've gone, hmm, they went out, they got AJ Brown and Hurts is balling. They looked at Tua, they've gone, hmm, Tua wasn't looking too great. They've gone out, they've got Hill, they've got Waddle, Tua's balling. They've looked at Allen, who was a bit hit and miss. He gets digs, he's having a field day. And part of me thinks that, are they looking at this and are they going, oh, maybe we just need to get Fields a guy and Chase Claypool was available? I don't know. So you kind of want to make this case, Charles, don't you? So we talked about this before the pod, and you want to make the case for a wide receiver one being so important in teams right now. Is that right? I feel that, do you know, it's it's hard to make that claim because we've got a lot of evidence that supports that with a true wide receiver one in your team, it helps elevate quarterbacks that didn't look all that great. But then... You know, you only have to look at Las Vegas this season. They've got Devontae Adams and they still don't look that great. And, you know, we look at the Bengals. They've still had Jamar Chase and they've looked poor at times. So I'm not saying that a wide receiver one is a silver bullet, but I think where you have a quarterback that you have belief in their abilities, sometimes a true wide receiver one is what you need to unlock that or to relieve the pressure give them a bit of a safety valve to help them play freely perhaps see the problem that i have with the whole kind of concept is i hate the term wide receiver one i think that wide receiver one is a phrase that's so prevalent because of people playing fantasy and they're looking at it from that kind of fantasy point of view there's 
several types of wide receiver. There's a split end, your X receiver. There's a flanker, your Z receiver. And there's a slot back or slot receiver, which is your Y receiver. And people talk in terms of wide receiver one. What they really mean when they're saying wide receiver one is generally a flanker who's not going to be on the line of scrimmage. He's going to be a yard or so back so he doesn't get jammed up. He's a featured receiver, probably the receiver who is capable of getting the most separation, has the the most overarching skill set, and can arguably get himself in the best position for the quarterback to throw him a ball. That's your flanker. But wide receiver one, ugh, it's just a term I'm not really comfortable with, Charles. I see your point, but is it Tyreek Hill by himself that has elevated Tua? Has he? There's been some games where Hill's been basically unplayable this season, but, you know, Waddle has almost matched him slug for slug. That game against the uh, Ravens when they came back from 100 points down and won it by four points, well, they both got over 160 yards and, and, and both of them played well. There's been almost just as many games where Hill has got more yards than Waddle than Waddle has got more yards than Hill. Does bringing in one receiver really matter that much? Is this concept of a featured wide receiver, uh, that, that featured wide receiver one, that important? Mm. I'm not going to fully disagree with you. I'm not going to say that it's it's not extremely helpful to have a featured wide receiver at a plain flanker, but I'm definitely not going to agree with you and and, and fully back your uh, hypothesis there, Charles. So what's Chase Claypool then? What do we think he is to the Bears? Because it's a bizarre trade given the pieces they've let go and the draft picks that they looked to be accumulating. I'm not, I don't think it's necessarily bizarre. I think it smacks of desperation a little bit, though. The Bears have obviously been accumulating a lot of picks, trading players away, building up that draft chest. Clearly, their wide receiver room is absolute garbage, right? And you you look at what they've got there. They've got the worst wide receiver room in the whole league. So they've clearly thought that rather than hold on to the second round pick and take a risk in next year's draft on an unproven player go and get Chase, get something that you know, and just let that be taken care of. Then go in the draft, maybe spend a first round on a wide receiver, something like that, whatever, and strengthen it even more. But it's just, I guess, just getting ahead of the curve and starting to spend those picks a little bit earlier. Yeah, and I suppose when you've got quite a few picks, it's almost like investment in a way, right? You want to diversify your risk and putting all your picks into a draft with unproven talent versus mm, if I can use one of my picks now to grab something that I know that is a constant and then I can be a bit riskier with some of my other picks in the draft that helps spread that risk out because we've seen with the way that Las Vegas draft that you can have all the draft picks in the world and still come away with nothing I think that's exactly it and that's not to say they haven't overpaid because I feel a little bit like they have overpaid but that's exactly it. They don't need to spend every single pick in the draft. You can spend the picks in other ways. You can do it a bit early. And that's what we've done here. Right. Well, there you go, Joe. I feel like we've covered the most important stuff. So next week should be a very interesting slate of games, Joe, because we've got teams with new players that they're going to have to incorporate. And we'll see if it's changed the fate of any teams that are stepping up to the mark. Friends become enemies. Enemies become friends. <laughs> uh, and just like that joe i'll see you next week see you next week mate